and welcome to this session on the great recalibration, how employers can transform benefit strategies to meet employees evolving needs. My name is Kirsten Hunter Peterson and I'm a vice president of workplace thought leadership, where I study trends across the workforce and in the workplace and how those trends impact new and emerging workplace benefits that really address the needs of the modern workforce. Our session today is going to touch on all of those topics and um, in the context of really how the world has changed and how many of us have changed, especially over the past couple of years. And what that means for the future of work as we know it and this ever evolving employer-employee relationship. I'm going to talk today about how workplace benefits play into these dynamics and how employers can be more strategic about which benefits they offer and why. So let's start at the beginning and just acknowledge that the past few years have been really really difficult and, and for everyone. You know, we've all experienced extended periods of isolation, um, grief to a certain extent, and this general uncertainty, this constant change and chaos in our lives. And I think these prolonged experiences have led people to reflect on what's most important or what they believe is most important in their lives. And that applies to work as well. You know, employees, they are reevaluating what they want for their careers, including things like how and where they work, as well as whom they work for and why. And in some cases, it has fundamentally changed the relationship that employees have to their jobs and to their workplaces and with their employers. And in certain cases, employees are leaving the workforce and others might be looking for, you know, greener grass in a new role or at a new company. And this churn in the workforce, it's led to a dynamic that um, has become known as the great resignation, you know, this phenomena that's resulting in fewer available workers during a time of intense economic growth. But we at Fidelity, we don't feel like that is the whole story. So what is the story? What is actually going on with the workforce? You know, employees, they are voluntarily quitting their jobs at the highest rate in the past two decades. And at the same time, job openings across the United States have continued to increase. In fact, as of March of this year, there were 11 million jobs left unfilled in the United States. Simultaneously, more than 400,000 new jobs are being added to the economy each month or have been for nearly the past year. And the last time this level of job growth occurred in the United States was back in 1939. So with all of this growth happening, with also fewer workers, you know, it's put employers in a really difficult position to run their businesses. We see here that companies are trying to do more with less. And when it comes to hiring and retaining talent, 
I don't think the landscape has ever been more competitive than it is right now. Research shows that two in five businesses say that they're hiring candidates they normally wouldn't even consider or wouldn't consider qualified due to the shortage of applicants. And among small businesses, this situation is even more concerning. And I would say that every employer that I've spoken to recently is dealing with this worker deficit. So it is definitely top of mind for employers. And in certain cases, it's one of, if not their biggest challenge or hurdle right now. So looking at all of these trends and data, it, it begs the obvious question, where are all the workers? Where have all of the workers gone? There are a few things we see going on here. So let's take a look at those who we're calling the resigners, those who have either chosen to leave the workforce or might have felt forced to leave either temporarily or permanently. So this first major group is the group of retirees. 2.4 million more people retired than we anticipated during the first 18 months of the pandemic. And for some, that was an empowering choice. You know, they made the decision to accelerate their retirement and enter this new phase of their life. But for others who maybe didn't plan on that early retirement, maybe they experienced a health event or um, had to start caring for a spouse or an aging family member, you know, maybe that's a more stressful situation. And they are going to have to figure out how to manage and finance a retirement that's longer than they anticipated. This next group is women. They have also left the workforce in staggering numbers. Research points mostly to burnout from you know, responsibilities of both work and home, the additional caregiving obligations during the pandemic when schools and daycares were closed for so long. You know, women were expected in many cases to pick up that additional um, responsibility or obligation. And at the end of the day, we're all just human. We can't do everything. And so unfortunately, that led many women to have to leave their jobs and exit the workforce. This has had dramatic consequences on the labor market. As of February of this year, female participation in the workforce is at the same level as it was in the late 1980s. You know, who knows how long it will take to climb out of that hole and get back to the progress that women have made in the workforce over the past really three and a half decades. This last group I wanted to point out are working parents of color, especially mothers. You know, they are the demographic group that have been slowest to return to work following the earliest months of the pandemic. And they're also disproportionately lacking a financial safety net. We know that mothers with lower levels of education are often less likely to have access to work, workplace benefits like paid leave, remote work, and affordable childcare options. And the lack of flexibility to be able to work and care for their families during the pandemic forced many parents of color to have to leave their jobs. 
One really interesting outcome of this situation that I want to point out is that during the pandemic and even now as we're coming out of it, non-traditional employment has skyrocketed. And I think there's this desire for more flexibility, for more personal autonomy that might be driving preferences for entrepreneurship, freelancing, gig work, um, especially among groups who feel traditional employment maybe constrains them to fewer quality work options or work that doesn't fit their lifestyle. It's an interesting observation too, especially from a diversity, equity, and inclusion lens. You know, as people feel like they don't fit into traditional models of work, they're not getting the flexibility they want or need. Um, they're not getting the professional growth and opportunities they want or need. You know, maybe they pursue alternative types of work. And what is that going to mean for the future of the U.S. workforce or even the global workforce? These are some questions that remain to be seen, but especially trends coming out of the pandemic that we should keep our eyes on. Um, for those who maybe exited the workforce by, by feeling forced to do so, you know, the lack of caregiving support and safety nets for working parents and people of color, we also need to be mindful that those things may drive further financial inequity among already underserved populations. So again, this is something that employers should be mindful of over the next few years. Will certain populations be able to re-enter the workforce? Will they have the support and the benefits they need to be able to work while still caring for their families? But not everybody is leaving the workforce. In fact, many people are remaining employed, but instead searching for something different at work. And so we move on from the resigners to who we call the reshufflers. First, we see that young workers are really driving the search for you know, greener grass, a new job at a new company, or maybe um, the same company, but in a new role. We also see frontline workers, particularly in industries like retail, healthcare, hospitality, customer service industries, they are experiencing this churn at exceptionally high rates. And these are jobs that are often, frankly, really hard. They might be labor intensive. They might require someone to deal with difficult people, customers. Um, they don't always offer the most competitive benefits or benefits at all or options for flexibility. So it, it really isn't surprising that workers, particularly in these industries, are maybe job hopping to something that seems even slightly more manageable or offering a better lifestyle. Or in certain cases, you know, folks are, are leaving an industry entirely. Think, you know, the healthcare industry and, and nurses. Lastly, this, this last group, knowledge workers, they have benefited from additional flexibility, mostly in terms of remote work over the past few years. 
And I think that's given them an easier time to actually transition to a new job during the pandemic, just by the nature of that remote work. Maybe getting a new job and onboarding didn't seem as, um, you know, difficult or burdensome because many people were working remotely. So now that we know where all the workers are going, you know, the question is, what's influencing the resigners or the reshufflers to make that change? And we see that those making the choice to participate in what's called the great resignation or the great reshuffle, you know, they often have something in common, and that's that they're prioritizing their well-being. The pandemic, and I think other events in our lives, they've led to record high levels of fatigue, stress, burnout across the workforce, all of which adversely impacts our mental health, our emotional health, even our physical health. And what's interesting is that I think there's this misconception that people are burnt out because of the pandemic. But this is not a new problem. When we look at the data, we see that this problem has actually been brewing and it's pretty widespread. In fact, a Gallup study from 2019 found that eight in 10 employees reported feeling burnt out at work, at least sometimes, and nearly 30% of employees said that they were always burnt out. That's really troubling for obvious reasons, but it was also before factors introduced by the pandemic, like um, financial and health uncertainty, lack of caregiving support, extended periods of isolation, constantly blurred lines between our personal and our professional worlds. You know, all of these cumulative factors that may exacerbate the burnout that many people already felt before 2020. So there's this growing body of research on burnout as an occupational phenomenon or essentially a, a workplace problem. Much of this research is from Jennifer Moss, author of The Burnout Epidemic. And actually in 2019, the World Health Organization categorized burnout as a workplace problem. And so when we look at the impact of burnout in the workplace, we think of employees but it doesn't just impact employees, it also impacts their employers. So you can see at the bottom of this slide, there's a visual illustrating a cyclical nature of burnout in the workplace. So when employees are feeling burnt out, it leads to increased absenteeism and attrition, which leads to understaffing, which increases workloads for the employees who choose to stay in their roles, which contributes to those employees feeling more dissatisfied and experiencing further burnout. So this really is a cyclical problem and it wouldn't surprise me if many of you out there are feeling this way. I think as the workforce continues to struggle to find available workers, many employees will continue to feel caught in this cycle of burnout and employers are really struggling with how to mitigate the consequences of both burnout and understaffing. But I think really 
all of the factors in this cyclical burnout illustration. What's apparent though, throughout all of this is that employees' well-being is in trouble. And employees, they really want to recognize what's causing that breakdown in well-being and prioritize ways to improve it. So thanks to my colleague, um, Yardena Montague-Rand, we have fantastic research here at Fidelity illustrating how employees want to improve their well-being as a result of experiences from the pandemic. So in a survey of workplace participants, you know, we asked how, they're, how they um, changed since the beginning of the pandemic, if they changed. And this is what we found, 72% of workplace participants have a different outlook on work-life balance. 65% say that their priorities have changed. And a staggering 60% say that they are more focused on their mental health. I think that figure in particular is remarkable. And I think it goes to show just how many of us are experiencing mental health challenges and that it needs to be addressed and talked about. And maybe doing that in the workplace can help reduce the stigma around such a widespread issue. If we do zoom out a bit though, you know what these data tell me are that across the workforce, many people feel like they are shifting from a live to work mindset to one of work to live. And maybe they're focusing more on elements of life that make them happy or bring them joy, whether that's something at work, at home, or both. Um, but they're more mindful of this than they were a few years ago. We see that sentiment in these two quotes on the slide from our survey respondents, and I'll just read one of them. This is from a female respondent, age 55 or, or more. Life is too short not to be happy and fulfilled. Instead of complaining and wasting time, you should find a place that you can give your best and make a tangible contribution. You know, we see these, or we feel these intense feelings and we see these emotions and, you know, maybe some of you feel this way yourselves or you have friends, family members who have expressed similar perspectives about how they think of their life and their work now, as opposed to a couple of years ago. I know I've even noticed a, a change in myself, and I've certainly seen that across my own, you know, friends and, and family and colleagues. So I want to take a step back for just a moment because I don't want us to miss the real lesson we find within all of these broader workforce trends. You know, the great resignation, the great reshuffle, whatever terminology you want to use right now, they have come to describe record levels of turnover or employee churn. But these trends signify a collective societal shift really in what employers are willing to accept from their jobs and for their lives, for their futures and their families' futures. And in terms of what all of this means for employers, I think it goes without saying that 
employees need more support today than, than maybe ever before. So a question that we at Fidelity have been asking is how do employee shifting priorities change what they want or maybe even what they expect from their employer? So there's conventional wisdom here that employees just want more money. That higher compensation will do the trick, keep people happy, keep people around. But if you talk to any business owner or employer, I bet they would disagree with you right now. And in our research, we've found that it's not just compensation, although that is a significant part of the story. It's higher compensation, it's benefits that resonate with people and address their specific needs. It's improving well-being, it's providing additional flexibility at work, and it's work or roles where employees feel connected because maybe their job or the company aligns with their values in a certain way or that they feel that their, their work is serving broader purpose or a bigger purpose in life. So all of these factors here play into company culture. And that's really what we're getting at. Culture matters now more than ever. And employers that can listen to their employees' needs and be responsive to improving that culture or creating a more inclusive culture they will have success at attracting new talent and keeping the high-performing employees you already have. Now, any employer knows that this is much easier said than done. There is no silver bullet to improve the culture of an organization. But at Fidelity, we have new research on how benefits can play a strategic and maybe outsized role in signaling company culture and cultural values, as well as helping employers with attraction and recruitment efforts, um, retention, and other talent goals for an organization. We are very fortunate at Fidelity to have such talented uh, research colleagues. So a big thank you to my colleagues, Sarah Raposo and Tamara Sims, who led research efforts on our most recent value of benefits program. So through this research program, we surveyed both employees and employers. Our employee sample included about 13,000 defined contribution uh, plan participants who use Fidelity as their retirement plan provider. And our employer sample included about 1,600 decision makers at companies, um, such as CFOs, CHROs, or maybe heads of benefits, for example. We asked each group about several dozen benefits and a range of benefits-related topics and questions. And from the research, we can determine which benefits each group values most and why. And if employees and employers have similar or differing perspectives on benefits. What's really important, though, is that we can determine what employees want most from their employer and 
how employers can then use this information to boost their goals and outcomes more effectively. This is a huge body of research that we will be continuously publishing um, for the next few months. But today, I'm just going to give you a quick snapshot, highlights of what we're seeing. So let's start with a quick exercise. Think about the workplace benefits that you value most, and maybe consider why you value those benefits. Is it for your health? Is it for your financial wellness? Maybe it's something else related to your family or your professional growth. Let's look at what employers said. <clears throat> so when we asked employers about their highest valued benefits, they said a DC retirement plan, health plan, PTO, sick leave, flexible working arrangements. Are any of these surprising? I, I wasn't too surprised. You know, these are commonly offered and commonly used benefits. And actually, our research discovered that that's exactly why employers say they are the most valued benefits they offer. It's because the, they're commonly offered and because they're highly utilized by employees. But when we look at what employees' top valued benefits are, their preferences look a bit different. So when we ask which benefits are most important for employees in terms of either you know, taking a new job or staying at their current job, they listed remote work, a compressed four-day work week, think 10 hours a day, four days a week, paid vacation time, specifically 10 hours or, or excuse me, 10 vacation days or more per year. They said flex time at work and also professional development. So clear themes popping up here. Employees want more flexibility, remote work, flex time at work, compressed work week. They want more time off and they want their employers to really invest in them through different professional development opportunities. I think all of these benefits lend support to employees wanting a healthier lifestyle and well-being. The flexibility, time away from work, growth, I see all of those as components of overall well-being. So a tip for employers here, get to know your talent and the talent you might want to recruit. What do they need from you? Where do they want to grow? You know, better understanding their needs and motivations can help you help them much more effectively. Now that we know what employers and employees value most from a benefits perspective. Let's dive a little bit deeper into how employers can actually use these insights to support their goals. We already said that we've learned in this research that employers value benefits based on utilization and enrollment rates. But very few employers actually think of benefits as a tool. So for employers out there today, 
think to yourself right now, what do you as an employer really want your benefits to accomplish? Do you have goals for your benefits? Might they be something like improving recruitment rates or retaining top talent or certain talent within your company? I would think that's the case, especially now during such a challenging labor market and hiring environment. And our research from this program indicates that a thoughtful benefits program can help employers attract, retain, um, engage their workforces and promote employee well-being. But that most employers, they don't use that lens when creating their benefits strategy. So that's a missed opportunity. And it's an area where bringing your talent goals and your benefits strategies together can yield more positive outcomes, both for your employees and for you as an employer. So let's dive into that a little bit more. In addition to asking employers and employees directly about their benefit preferences and ideas of, around value, we also looked at which benefits were independently driving value for employers. And what I mean by that is we found several exceptional benefits that independently predict better talent outcomes for employers, such as attraction, retention, reduced absenteeism, and increasing employees' wellness at work. And so that's what you see here on this screen. For instance, if we look at the improved attraction column, you can see the benefits that employees said would persuade them to take a new job or from the employer perspective, help them attract and um, boost recruitment rates. And then underneath that, we looked at which benefits independently help boost attraction rates at an employer. We did that through what's called a multiple regression model. The benefits that we found to be driving attraction are listed here. Dental, a tuition reimbursement, meditation, a fitness reimbursement, an umbrella liability coverage. Some of these might be surprising. I'm personally surprised at dental coverage, for example, um, and umbrella liability. But if we look at this group of benefits more holistically, I see that they're all contributing to better health, whether it be physical or emotional, as well as professional growth. You know, those are the themes that we have seen across this entire body of research and the trends that we're seeing across the labor market right now. So for example, if a prospective employee that you as an employer are trying to hire sees that your company offers a meditation benefit, that might signal that the company cares about employees' mental health. But it also might signal something deeper about the company's culture, being a place that supports your well-being. So it's not just the financial or other immediate or direct benefit that a workplace benefit provides. It's also more holistically about what it can signal, especially in terms of attraction and retention. So moving over to our stronger retention column, you can see how employees responded compared to our independent analysis of benefits driving retention. 
these ones were less surprising to me. You know, the benefits that help employers retain employees are mostly the paid leave benefits. So PTO, paid sick leave, paid parental maternity leave. It goes to show that when employees know that they have the opportunity to take time away from work when they need it, they're more likely to stick around. And I just want to quickly touch on our other two columns here. These are the benefits that help to reduce absenteeism. You know, some interesting findings here um, with certain financial benefits like student debt employer contributions and financial wellness programs helping to reduce absenteeism. We know from other research that long-term financial stress can manifest through physical and mental health, and that employees who are financially stressed tend to be absent from work more frequently. So when I see these findings, I, I wonder if these benefits that are helping to reduce financial stress, or maybe even help employees put together a financial plan, you know, maybe they are contributing to this positive outcome of actually having people show up at work and be more um, present at work. And then in our last column, employee wellness at work, we see quite a range of benefits here, everything from traditional insurance to decision-making support to professional development, flexibility at work. This underscores to me that employees' needs are vast and varied. And to my earlier point, employees may need more help across more areas of life than ever before. They will mention that one of the most interesting and compelling aspects of this research was uncovering how the benefits that are independently driving some of these better outcomes you see here, they are generally not valued as much by employers. In fact, when we asked employers which benefits they were least likely to consider valuable to their employees, they mentioned several of the benefits that are actually shown here to significantly boost positive outcomes. Some of those, for example, were tuition reimbursement, fitness reimbursement, student debt benefits. Employers listed those as least valuable. And yet here, we see that those benefits are actually driving the very outcomes employers want from the benefits they offer. And so for all of you employers out there, I, I would say consider how your own perceptions of value might be coloring which benefits you offer to employees. And if that's really the best approach to meet employees' needs moving forward. So that's a lot of information for today. And I wanted to take a step back and just underscore, you know, what have we learned from these trends, from these insights? We know that the great recalibration has put employers in a difficult position, a very difficult position to attract and retain employees and meet other workforce goals, like, for instance, well-being. 
you know, today, many employees, they are no longer influenced by higher compensation alone, but rather they want their employer to support many aspects of their lives too. Maybe elements of their life where an employer hasn't previously gotten involved. You know, things from improving employee well-being to offering greater flexibility to creating a more purposeful and inclusive workplace culture. Employers really have their work cut out for them. But a productive first step to meet employees' evolving needs might be rethinking your benefit strategy, including offering benefits that have been shown in our research here at Fidelity to contribute to your specific talent or workforce goals. I will say, as we wrap up, we are in a time when market conditions are constantly changing. There is no silver bullet or simple fix for employers that are struggling with some of these talent goals. People and organizations, they're complex and many factors like a smaller labor force or the increasing diversity in the workforce, these factors continue to move goalposts for employers. So all of that pace of change is overwhelming, but it doesn't seem to be slowing down. So at Fidelity, we are here and we are keeping our finger on the pulse to help clients navigate this constantly and ever-evolving environment. So for more information on what employees want and need at work, including emerging insights from Fidelity's latest value of benefits research, employers can look to us to help improve workforce outcomes and better position themselves and their companies as this world of work continues to evolve. More information on what employees want and need at work, including our emerging insights from Fidelity's latest value of benefits research, can help employers like all of you improve workforce outcomes and better position yourselves and your company as the world of work continues to evolve at such a rapid pace. Thank you so much for joining our session today. We hope you found these insights helpful and actionable. Thank you for listening to the Benefits That Benefit podcast by Fidelity. We hope you learned a lot from this episode. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast and recommend it to your friends and colleagues. We'd also love to hear from you. So leave a rating and a review to let us know what you think. Lastly, if you'd like to read more about our research and insights on what we now call the Great Recalibration, head to our website at go.fidelity.com forward slash recalibration. Thanks again for listening and see you on our next episode. Plans sponsored use only. Information provided in the podcast is general in nature, is provided for informational purposes only, and should not be considered as investment or tax advice.
Views and opinions of the individuals noted are expressed as of the date of the recording and do not necessarily represent the views of Fidelity Investments. Any such views are subject to change at any time based on market or other conditions. Fidelity Investments disclaims any liability for any direct or incidental loss incurred by applying any of the information in this podcast. Consult your tax or financial advisor for information concerning your specific situation. This podcast is intended for U.S. persons only and is not a solicitation for any Fidelity product or service. This podcast is provided for your personal, non-commercial use and is the copyrighted work of FMR LLC. You may not reproduce this podcast in whole or in part in any form without the permission of FMR LLC. The trademarks and service marks appearing herein are the property of their respective owners. Keep in mind that investing involves risk. The value of your investment will fluctuate over time and you may gain or lose money. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC, 900 Salem Street, Smithfield, Rhode Island, 02917. Copyright, 2022, FMR, LLC. All rights reserved.